Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are here in Rome, specifically sitting in maybe the little known Rose Garden of Rome. Yes, it's called the Roseto Comunale. It's very well known to residents, but um, I assume that most tourists don't, you know, don't have the time to to make a trek up here. But if you are visiting Circus Maximus, the Aventine Hill, it really is worth it if you're here in any time in May or early June to take a stop in here because it's incredibly beautiful. It's it's a place with 1,100 different species of rose and it's free so any you know you can just wander in and sit down we had a hard time finding any shade in here but we did manage to find some you could spend as much time as you want in here and they even let people walk on the grass which surprised me when i saw that Uh, and you know explore look at the different types of roses and read what they're called and and of course you can imagine if you're surrounded with that many roses what the air smells like it smells so good and i don't know about you katie but I cannot stand the smell, the manufactured smell of roses. I cannot stand like rose-scented oil or rose-scented perfume or anything that is trying to capture the rose scent, even if it's like made with natural ingredients. I just, I find it obnoxious, that smell. But the real smell of roses, it's incredible. It is, and a, and a wide variety, of course. But this is one of many uh, parks in the city of Rome, and we did receive a request from a listener through Instagram, although we've since somehow deleted that request, and we don't know where it is, and so we can't read the specifics of what it is that you asked for, nor what your name is. But you wanted us to talk about some of the gardens and some of the parks of Rome that might be lesser known. I mean, of the parks of Rome that you that you think everybody knows about, probably Circus Maximus is one. Although you might not think it's a park, you think might think of it as a stadium in your head, but really it's just a big empty grassy field that a lot of people jog around, although they are uh, excavating one side of it now. And then the other one that everybody knows about is... Villa Borghese. Right, which is both park and carnival (laughs) and museum. It's a a kind of a park of all things. Yeah, it really is a wonderful place to honestly spend the entire day. If you have that much time in Rome that you have, you can really spend that amount of time I was there with Aurelio last summer, and I was like, man, you could, we could spend the whole day here. We can go to, like, Villa Borg- uh, Galleria Borghese, one of the best museums in the city. We can go see a play at the Globe Theater if you're there in the summertime because there's, like, a little mini reproduction of the Globe, and they put on shows in, uh, in Italian, unfortunately. You can, you know, you, yeah, you can go to a little mini, I mean, it's not really a carnival. It's like a merry-go-round. You can yes. rent bikes. You can rent go-karts. You can do all this stuff. You can have a picnic. And watch ducks in a little pond. You can rent a little boat in the pond. It's it's really like a whole day. <laughs> yeah. It has a water clock, like a clock that's run by water somehow. Mm, yes. Yes, that's so cool. But actually, given all that amazingness of the Villa Borghese, though, it's actually not one of my favorite parks in Rome. Yeah, it's not really one of mine either. I always found that it's, I find that it's just, just that too much crowded, you know, and uh, there's like some busy streets that go through it or right past it that I just make it feel a little bit too urban, a little bit too much part of the center of the city. Yeah, and, and quite a bit of it is gravel. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much foot traffic, they've covered a lot of it in gravel. 
Mm -hmm. I agree. I don't find it the most relaxing of parks in the city. My favorite park, in which we've talked about on this show before, is the park that's up on the hill above Trastevere, which is called Dorian Pamphili Park, I guess. That's what I always call it. Well, Villa Pamphili, Villa Doria Pamphili is the technical term, but everyone just calls it Villa Pamphili. Right, So, and it does have this villa in the middle of it, hence that's why it probably gets that name. But it really is mostly the, I would say, abandoned grounds of what used to be a very private Country home. Country, yeah. I was like trying to think like summer palace, but yeah, country oh, yeah. house. And that's what villa, a villa is. A villa is like a palace, but it's it's in the suburbs. It's it's in the country. That area back, you know, 400 years ago was the country. It wasn't Rome. So it's a, a villa is in the country and a palace is in the city. Right. So it has some things that are a little bit more wild, although everything seems like it was planted intentionally at one point. But it has a big, huge grove of umbrella pine trees. But then you can also uh, walk around the corner and there's a huge lake there that has swans and turtles and the most giant fish you've ever seen in your life in it. <laughs> no predators whatsoever. And people are constantly throwing bread and lettuce into the water. Or you can, you know, there's areas that's like a big flat open area where you can throw a ball to a dog. There's a church on the outskirts of it um, that's very rarely open, as far as I can tell. It's got the villa looking pristine but locked off right in the center of it. And it used to have a nice little playground cafe combination in it, but you were telling me that that cafe is now closed. No, I think it's been, I, I don't think it en- ended up closing. I think it was supposed to close, but it somehow must have gotten reprieved because it's called Vivi Bistro. I could be wrong. I haven't been there recently, but I'm pretty sure Vivi Bistro is still there, and there is still the playground there. Right. A couple playgrounds. It's very, very big. There's a whole other side to it if you cross the footbridge, which has a big dog park where you could unleash your dog, and it also has another lake, and there's tons of running tracks. Like, if you are a runner or you want to bike in a park and not in the city itself, Villa Pamphili is your place. And I think it's also great for picnics because if you go where the umbrella pines are or if you go up near that little cafe but sort of down the hill, there's just this big grassy, grassy area where you can see all the pines lined up in the distance and even you can see the very, very top of St. Peter's. Yes, And it's also kind of fun in this, like I said, you know, it's sort of a, it has this abandoned quality to it that I also really love about it. While I was visiting here in Rome, one of the only museums I went to was the uh, Doria Pomfili Palace, which is now a museum. And in one of the rooms in that palace is a whole bunch of statues that when you listen to the audio guide, they tell you these statues used to be outdoors at this park that we're talking about. But the family at one point made the decision to protect them and bring them inside of their palace rather than have them just standing out in the elements that ended up not working out for them very well because they moved them into a room and later Rome got a terrible snowstorm and the roof of the room that they were all in collapsed and shattered a bunch of them into pieces and then they had to do a big restoration to put these statues back together. So maybe it would have been better if they just left them in the park. But that said, they did leave some things behind. And so there is like a, there's a bunch of strange grottos with statues where like half of their torso is missing or you know it's just the stump of a leg you know or there's like a little marble foot sitting there so it does kind of have these fun like discoverables scattered throughout it oh yes i I definitely prefer villa pomfili over 
Villa Borghese, they're both wonderful in their own way, but Villa Pamphili is just magical. So you said, though, that you have a few other, like, little, even more little-known, perhaps. Well, I'm thinking more of gardens, specifically, because Villa Borghese and Villa Pamphili are true parks. Uh, They're just massive. They're mostly, I mean, yes, there are flowers in them in certain areas, but it's, you know, it really has the feel of a park. But I believe that our listener mentioned also gardens. And so we are sitting, as we told you at the beginning of the episode, in the Roseto Comunale, the, the communal rose garden, which I think is absolutely worth it if, you, uh, if you're a flower lover. But again, of course, just it's only open in May and the beginning of June. So if you're here at that time, it's more than worth it for a visit, especially because it's free and it's... Uh, you know, it's just, it's a nice break. And like I said, it's full of flowers. And also when you're up here, where, from where we are sitting right now, you can see a lot of important monuments in Rome. Like you can see different uh, bell towers. You can see the top of the Victor Emmanuel building from certain areas. You can see the palaces, the ancient palaces on the Palatine Hill. It's kind of beautiful to feel like you're in a garden, but yet you have Rome at your feet. Um, but there are a few others that I really love. One of them is, it's tiny and it's, and nobody knows it's there. And it is the Garden of Palazzo Venezia. So Palazzo Venezia is a palace, a Renaissance palace, right in Piazza Venezia. So it's right by the big, what they call the typewriter building or the wedding cake, uh, the Victor Emmanuel building. It's sort of kitty corner to that, but it's a much, much older building. And it's got a museum in it, which I think is really it's one of those museums that, like, again, if you have a lot of time in Rome or if it's your second, third visit, it's worth it. But, you know, you might not go if it's your first time and you've got five days. But if you go to the museum, but even if you don't go to the museum, you don't have to go to the museum to get into the garden. You can just walk right in the entrance and instead of, you know, going to the ticket office and going up into the museum, you can just go straight through the garden. And it's got at least one fountain in it. It's got a lot of trees. It's got some flowering bushes and plants, depending on the time of year. But it's just this little oasis. It's got palm trees. It's got a loggia up above. If you go to the museum, you, you walk out onto the loggia. It's just you're in the one of the busiest parts of the city. And it's just this little pocket of calm and silence. And it's an oasis. And I feel like Rome has these oases. I mean, we talked about cloisters. I did on a, a mini episode. Cloisters have the same sense of being an oasis within the city but I I really think that the gardens do the same thing if you know where they are so that is the garden of Palazzo Venezia and there's an even more hidden garden that I've never been to because you can only go one day a year it is only open on the 2nd of June which is the Festa della Repubblica uh, a big national holiday here in Rome Um, so June 2nd and from what I've heard there's like massive lines like you have to like get there really early it's not tourists going there because the tourists don't know about it. It's Romans. It's the people who, you know, like there's this category of Romans and they're usually older people, middle-aged or older. And if there's something that's open once a year, like they are there lining up, waiting all day to get in. (laughs) So, um, so you will have to deal with a little bit of a line, but it's the Quirinale Gardens. It's the gardens of the, the residents of the president of Italy. So it's a very exclusive area. There's fountains. There's bajillions of types of flowers. I can't tell you an exact number, but lots. And you just know that you're in a place that almost nobody gets to see. <laughs> Are you going to uh, try to do this? I mean, this might air after June 2nd, you so know. I can't say, well, did you go? Uh, but would you plan as we're recording to go? I doubt I'll go this year. I got a lot of stuff coming up in the first week of June. It's uh, really was last week in school. So there's going to be like the end of school party and, uh, 
you know, all sorts of stuff. I doubt I'll go this year. I feel like it's one of those places where I'll go one day, but I don't think it's this year. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, another place I haven't been, kind of embarrassed to admit, is the Vatican Gardens. Oh, interesting. So yeah, you've looked down on them. I looked down on them. I don't know if I've ever looked down on them because you can't see them from the Vatican museums that I know of. I don't think there's anywhere in the museums that you can see them from. But um, my husband parks in them every day. I mean, he parks like right outside because he, of course, works in the Vatican. But I mean, I again, I've, I've, I've written about the Vatican Gardens. I've, I've researched about the Vatican Gardens, but I haven't actually been there. But um, it's a similar sort of thing, I think to the Quirinale Gardens. It was it was meant to be a private garden, the private garden of the Pope, the Popes. And every, not every single Pope, but a lot of Popes over the years have added their touches. So you're not just going to find plants, but you're also going to find little gazebos and little uh, a little altar and a little fountain that this Pope added and that that Pope added. So there's a lot of architectural and artistic value mixed up with the plant life, which I think is, I always think is a beautiful combination, art and nature. And... You know, we've talked about the parrots, the parakeets in recent episodes, and there's a, a legend uh, that some pope in the past, a couple hundred years ago, was given a gift of a number of parrots by some visiting dignitary coming from a more tropical place, and that the pope just freed them, and that that is why we have a parrot population in Rome. So, I don't know, make of that what you will. A very healthy parrot population in Rome. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've produced a lot. <laughs> Reproduced a lot. Yes, they are, they're an invasive species and they have done very, very well here. Yes. <laughs> um, um, I was thinking of another one that, that um, comes to mind is, I believe it's an arboretum that's outside, right? Or right next to Trastevere. It has a garden. I don't know the name of it, of course. I've only ever been there one time. But it has part of its... I think it's an arboretum type thing because it's where, and maybe you know, where the garden is actually divided up into different areas, like the different themes, basically. There's it's a part. Yeah, botanical gardens. Botanical gardens, yeah. And it has this one section that I thought was so cool. I've since uh, seen other gardens do this in other parts of the world and in the United States. But it was the first time I'd ever experienced it was when I was here. They had created a section of the garden that was specifically made for blind people. Oh. So everything that's growing in that area has different textures, has different smells. So if I'm only doing, only touring the garden with my eyes closed, with my hands and my nose, you have this rich experience without being able to see it. And so when we went there, we were like, well... I'm going in blind and Derek's going to lead me around. <laughs> and so he led me around and, you know, I just basically tried to experience it like as if I, I'll never know what these plants look like. I'm only going to experience them through my hands. And it was a really, really fun experience, actually. That is really cool. I didn't know about that. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't, uh, I didn't know about that or see that area. It's right by where you enter to the left. Okay. So if you go back again, you can check it out. Okay. Yes. So that's another one for our list, the Orto Botanico, the Botanical Gardens. They're in Trastevere. They're, you know, I had been there years and years ago, and I don't think I explored it fully. And Claudio last year or two years ago was like, let's go to the, we had a, we had both had a day off and Aurelio was at school. He's like, let's go to the botanical gardens. And I was like, okay, fine. And I was rolling my eyes and we were walking through the first parts and I'm like, Rome's botanical gardens is really not a big deal. Like you're going to see, because he'd never been there. Like you're going to see, it's really a non thing. And he's like, no, keep going. There's a, there's a Japanese garden here. Keep going. Come, come, come. We're climbing the hill, climbing the hill. And we get to the Japanese garden and it's like, I mean, I can't compare it to an actual Japanese garden in Japan because I've never been to Japan. But 
for being in Rome in the center of the city or almost it was pretty amazing and I love I love that type of landscaping the Japanese landscaping with the Japanese maples and the little you know flowing streams and the waterfalls and the you know the carp fish and all of it the little lanterns you know this the gazebo is just so beautiful and we said next we have to come in spring like we have to come when the cherry trees are blossoming and, and we missed it <laughs> we came on may 1st and the cherry season was over yes you gotta do april april, april. i know i was like <clears throat> okay i just missed it by a couple weeks but next time next time but it is it was still beautiful the japanese garden is still gorgeous and there's also a bamboo forest and there's also a rose garden much smaller than this one but but it was beautiful Aurelio's favorite part was the greenhouse full of carnivorous plants. Oh, yeah, that's lots of fun. <laughs> yes, he was, I was like, see that thing? Because it was a really long, like, kind of tube. It's like, you put your finger in there, it'll start eating your finger. <laughs> and did he put his finger in there? Oh, no, no, no. He's a cautious child. <laughs> we're right. I should mention, yeah, speaking of your hand being eaten, this rose garden that we're sitting in, if it helps you picture it better, if you've been in Rome, and, but, you know, you, you're like me sometimes, and you're like, which hill is which? We're raided by the mouth of truth. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Another thing that you can get can get bit off. That's right. Supposedly. Yes. Uh, be careful what you stick in there. Um, the <laughs> the <laughs> if you're ever in Seattle, uh, Tiffany, there is a beautiful garden called Kubota Gardens that I had not been to until very like uh, just a few years ago. That's in South Seattle. Gorgeous little uh, Japanese garden oasis amazing actually if i'm ever in seattle in springtime i will go there because i'm now like obsessed with japanese gardens and there's another japanese garden in rome which is part of the japanese institute and they open it up on i want to say like two or three sundays in april but you have to sign up like six months in advance everybody wants to go there and they only allow a few people in so I've never managed to, to do it in time. But that's on my list for next year. I can name one that I, I don't know exactly where it is. Like, I know which convent it's in. But if I could tell you, like, I I just don't know exactly. Where we're sitting, it's over my left shoulder. But I could not give the directions to look, where to find this. So maybe I shouldn't even share it. But there is an ecumenical garden that's specifically plants that have to do with um you know different touch tones and in, in uh the scriptures basically Oh, that's interesting um yeah and i and i know a couple from seattle that actually one of their volunteer jobs is that they tend they're responsible for tending to the ecumenical garden it is as far as i know from looking it up it's only open one day a week in the morning so I guess volunteering wow. to take care of it is the way that you get to see it more often. Yes. Um, but otherwise, it is like one, another one of those kind of exclusive things. Since so much of what we're talking about are these exclusive things that the vast majority of people will never get to see. I mean, and that is a common thing in Rome, that there's these exclusive, put them on your list, someday you're going to get there kinds of things that other cities don't necessarily have. Because so much of what goes on here is behind giant closed doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that add to the excitement of living here? Or, or do you feel like it would be better if these things were what much more open? I don't think it matters. You know why? Because there's so much to see in Rome that the tourists aren't going to come see them, even if they are available. If you're in Rome for a week, even if the Quirinale Gardens are open every day, you're not going. That's you, true. You're just not going to go because you have a million other things to do way, 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 way more important. And so I think that having these things that are hard to see 
yeah, it's fun. Like I like having the challenge of trying to see these things. Like there's a the monastery of San, uh, Trin Trinita de Monti Church that I I've been wanting to see for like 10 years. It's only open on Saturday mornings. But I mean, how hard is that, right? Saturday morning, you just have to call like a month in advance and book it. But because it's challenging, I haven't done it yet. And so it makes it more of a, a, a victory when, when you get to see it. You it's know? like you get a mission. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about this before. And of course, seeing the Caravaggio at, uh, at Villa Aurora is a, is a big mission that is, is a harder one. But again, if it were open every day, would people go? No, only, you know, maybe the Caravaggio nuts would, would go. I mean, there are huge Caravaggio lovers who come to Rome and don't manage to see all the Caravaggios here in Rome because there's just a lot and there's a lot of museums and it's just it's just a lot to see. That's true. Yeah. Can I give a few honorable mention last last gardens? Yes. So here's one that a lot of tourists do visit and we're going to head up in that direction right now. We might go in, we might just pass by, but um, the, the orange garden. Right, where you're not supposed to eat the oranges. Well, yeah. <laughs> Tell your story about eating. <laughs> no, I didn't eat it. I heard... Oh, I thought you, I, I could have sworn that you said to me once, oh, Derek and I were at the orange garden and we saw this beautiful, like, ripe orange lying on the ground and we picked it up and ate it and it was disgusting. Uh, no, I had heard long before ever visiting the orange garden that the oranges were disgusting. Yeah, they're really sour. Don't eat them. But they're beautiful. The trees are beautiful. And what you really go to the orange garden for, though, is the view of Rome because it's got a sweeping view of the entire city and it's uh, it's worth it to, to visit. It is, it is. And it's a little tiny park that's just full of orange trees. It's very odd. Yeah, there's really uh, nothing much else to it. Yeah, a view and oranges. And oranges all over the ground too, which is yeah, lots of fun. On, depending on time of year. Yes, okay, that's a good one, that's a good one. Okay, here's one that's a little bit further afield and it's another one that I haven't been to. <laughs> Uh, I, there's so much more. You cannot see Rome unless you have a lifetime or more. It's in a little town, a tiny, tiny, tiny little abandoned town called Ninfa. And Ninfa was, I want to say, a medieval city that was just, you know, it was just abandoned eventually, just a tiny little hamlet. And the gardens, you know, there was like, there's like maybe a medieval tower there and like a little bridge and a couple of stone buildings. And because no one was living there after a certain period the plants just totally overtook the entire small town and so I've seen lots of pictures of it like I said I haven't been there but April is the month to go because it's just full of wisteria and the wisteria is just like dripping from you know stone towers and bridges and but there's many other plants there and, and uh, types of flowers and since you know in the past maybe 50 years or so they, they realized what a treasure it was and whoever had charge of it you know now up keeps up the garden and so it's well kept and, and you can go visit but it's very controlled like you can't just go and take a picnic there and do an Instagram shoot you're with a guide you go through you've got like 20 minutes and they show you and they take you around and then you gotta leave but still I think worth it just to see it was voted by the New York Times to be the most beautiful garden in the world hmm. and how far away from Rome is it I, I would say in car it's maybe 40 minutes to an hour but like I had said I haven't been there but I would I would guess since it's like a easy day trip from Rome it's probably about that and another day trip from Rome which has an amazing garden is Villa d'Este have you been there yes I think so think so being Villa what Villa d'Este yes in Tivoli yes I have been there. oh my god in Tivoli amazing amazing yes it is really really wonderful and that's actually um, one of the gardens that I learned about in going there I learned that the reason that garden in particular 
is kind of a bunch of switchback pathways and a lot of water a lot of waterfalls yeah and a sloping hill and a lot of water some are big pools some are fountains like a bunch of faces spewing water into a trough it's full of water movement and that part of the reason for that was so that people could have private conversations near each other and not be able to overhear each other so the the garden was intentionally built to make sure that gossip would not echo across the garden that all that renaissance gossip and you know who is responsible for that place? I used to know. <laughs> well, Ippolito d'Este, uh, the I think his name was Ippolito. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ippolito d'Este was the car- was a cardinal, and he was the son of a friend of the show, Lucrezia Borgia. Mm. So Lucrezia, when she finally her third and only successful marriage to the Duke of Ferrara, she moves up to Ferrara. She has a couple kids. One of them becomes the um, Cardinal d'Este, and he builds, after her death, obviously, he builds Villa d'Este and that amazing garden. Very cool. Well, we should probably leave it there. We should. I'm sure I'm going to think of another garden like the moment Katie turns off the mic, but that's a lot to start with, at least. Well, let's say this. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, sign up because we can put all the, the list of all of these gardens in a newsletter for you. Then you don't even need to, like, put the pen down. You're like, oh, I didn't know how to spell Villa, whatever. No problem. We'll put it in a newsletter. To sign up, just go to our website, thebittersweetlife.net. There'll be a little pop-up box that pops up. Put your email in, and about once a month, sometimes every other month, we'll send you a newsletter, and we'll send you a newsletter that contains all this information. You can also send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com, and ask to be added to the list as well, if you like. Uh, we'll never send you anything spammy. And of course, like we're not a big enough show to sell your email addresses to anybody else. And even if we were, we still wouldn't do it. So feel free to sign up for that newsletter. And if you love this show, feel free to support it as well. There are links in the show notes. Your donations are the only thing that keeps this show going. So please do support it. Yes, it means so much. It is how we keep going. Yes. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life in the Rose Garden of Rome. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. The Bittersweet Life is produced and edited by me, Katie Sewell. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. If Rome is in your travel plans, be sure to arrange a historical tour with Tiffany. To set it up, send us a note through the Contact Us page at thebittersweetlife.net. Also, you could sponsor this show and reach thousands of engaged thinkers and travel lovers all over the world. Send us a note at thebittersweetlife.net to get the conversation started. Our logo is designed by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, web help from Drew Atkins. And this show continues when listeners support it. Tell a friend to subscribe, write us a review, and like you would with any other art you appreciate, tip your podcaster. Don't steal the tea. Find ways to toss a donation in the hat at thebittersweetlife.net. Thank you. And thanks for spending the summer in Rome with us.